I think the future is really, really bright. I've been quoted previously saying, you know, the heavy lifting for decarbonization is going to fall onto the supply chain organization. And that gives them the voice at the table that I don't think they've had in a long time. They can set the standards for that data. They can set the standards for the ERP model and how the AI gets put in. They're the bus driver and they're taking it down the road that they want to go to and they will get us all there. Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain podcast. My name's Richard Howells. I'm a Vice President for Thought Leadership for SAP's ERP Finance and Supply Chain Solutions. And I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Nicole. Hi, everyone. I'm Nicole Smythe, and I'm a blogger, podcaster, and marketer in the supply chain space here at SAP. And today we have an awesome episode ahead where we'll be talking to PwC's Sadie Fieldson and Jeff Briner on how companies can transform their sustainability efforts and initiatives by decarbonizing their value chain. So welcome, Sadie and Jeff. Thank you both so much for joining us here today, and it's so great to have you two on the series. So if you could just take a moment to introduce yourselves and what you do today at PwC. Sure. Thank you for having us. Really looking forward to the conversation. I'm Sadie Fieldson. I am a managing director at PwC. I've had the opportunity of serving the SAP community for approximately 20 years, various different industries and areas. But right now, my focus is really helping companies drive efficiency, optimization, and innovation within their supply chain. What really kind of makes me tick is how all of that ends up impacting customer satisfaction and employee satisfaction as well as our global economy, which we'll talk about. Jeff? Thanks, Sadie. Hi, everybody. I'm Jeff Reiner. I lead our SAP digital supply chain and operations capability. I am also the global leader for our SAP clean energy capabilities and the sponsor of our clean energy templates. Awesome. Well, thank you both. Like I said, we're so excited for our conversation today. I know it'll be a, a really great one. But like I said, we're going to be talking about decarbonizing the value chain, which is, of course, not a small task or feat due to endless complexities, as I'm sure we'll dive into. So to set the stage for our listeners, Sadie, what do you mean when we talk about decarbonization of the value chain? You know, it's really interesting because it starts with the responsibility of everyone. There is no one sector or business that is not involved in this decarbonization effort. You know, to consulting, it may mean that we look at different ways of limiting travel or how we travel. To those in the distribution industry, it may mean that they look at different ways of delivering products. Rail is optimizing scheduling and sequencing and even utilities is looking at promoting clean energy and alternative ways of driving that. But it really all points back to the same thing. And it's going to require a shift in what we're doing today and a purposeful focus on driving that optimal efficiency through the end-to-end process of the supply chain. You know, our net zero economy index has revealed that in order to limit global warming, to those pre-industrial levels, we together have to achieve a year-on-year decarbonization rate of approximately 17% from now until 2050. If we actually do the math on that, that means that we have to move at a pace seven times faster than what we're doing today. So it's not going to be an easy task for any one person or company or even industry at that point. 
I think it's going to require all of us to move fast and work together through that process. Yeah, I think it's all about starting now as well. We can't wait because that 17% will rise the longer that everybody waits or anybody waits. I saw a PwC presentation recently where the speaker talked about four moments that matter through the value chain. So Sadie, maybe you can walk us through those moments that matter from a sustainability perspective. All the moments matter, right? But we do like to think of four moments that matter when we think about the supply chain. And the first one really starts with that creation of products. It's how are we designing the products, not only for today, but for the future. Second is really around what are the materials or the commodities that are being used to actually build and produce those products? Where are they coming from? What are they built on and what are they essentially used for? And third is really that resulting manufacturing operations, the assembly process, the energy that we use to create those products. And then last but not least, it's that end-to-end logistics. So how are we moving around goods? How are we sending stuff to the end customers? How are we getting that to where they need to be? All four of them. I love the fact you started with how to design products, because I think that's something that everybody needs to take account of in the manufacturing industry, because we can design emissions out of our supply chains and out of our products and how we manufacture them right at the start, which means that we don't have to worry about it later in the value chain. Yeah, we have to start with it being front focus. We have to care about it that early in the process in order to gain the benefits every step. Absolutely. And it's compounding the further you go through. If you don't take account of it right at the start, then it's going to have a negative impact every time you make something, every time you move something. And then you think about that and we think about the 17% in the year over year, which means we should have started yesterday and all of those products that we've already designed, did we actually look at decarbonization and the impacts of them and what needs to be undone as part of that process? That leads perfectly into the next question. Maybe I'll pose this one to Jeff. How do we design networks to reduce carbon emissions? Easier said than done. I, I preach to a lot of my clients that I think we're trying to solve, you know, a problem that's now forever into the future by looking backward at, you know, what we did in the 80s and 90s. I'm a child of the nuclear industry. And if we take that same approach where we had very little standardization and try to build our clean energy and decarbonization structures using today's tools and yesterday's processes, I, I think you know, the cost will go from billions and billions to trillions and trillions and make clean energy just not affordable. To get there, I think we got to get away from the whole supply chain and get to the supply web and structure that web so the individual strands in that web are much closer to what, you know, I'm a farm boy, the farm to market kind of thing. And Sadie mentioned it's products, but it's also services. She and I every week get on a plane and fly to one or two cities and you know, and that puts a big carbon footprint on an IT project, if you will. And so being able to understand those nuances and design a web, not a more linear network for everything that we do is going to give us the flexibility we need to build in the kind of standards and processes that will allow us to solve this as economically as we can. Are you seeing companies move supply closer to demand or select suppliers that are closer to the demand to reduce that distribution emissions? That's the goal. 
but you know, everybody's having people issues and quality issues. So trying to understand what's feeding you from a product standpoint and the parts and materials point of view and how resilient are your suppliers is, you know, again, we don't have tools that allow us to assess them properly. And so, yes, they want to, but the challenge to do that is becoming very, very expensive. And quite frankly, they're trying to look forward, not into the supply chain and hoping it works. So quick answer is yes, they want to, but there's a whole nother level of tools and capabilities that they need to do that. Because that also helps reduce risk in the supply chains. I mean, we've seen global supply chains very stretched over the last few years, and we designed global supply chains to reduce costs, but it increased the risk, it increased emissions because of the distance that things are traveling and the fact that they've got much further to go from a risk perspective and got to go through more borders and the like. But Richard, I think there's a balance in that because there is an economies of scale yep. associated with some of that as well. And so it really is that balancing act. That's my favorite term in supply chains. It's a balancing act because we're balancing everything. It's balancing risk and reward. We're balancing emissions versus costs. We're balancing everything. And it's a much more complex balancing act now than it's ever been. We're talking about emissions management and we're seeing the need to be able to track actuals at all levels of the supply chain when it comes to emissions and waste and other things from a sustainability perspective and having that actual data. So how are you seeing companies across the value chain better track real-time actual emissions at every level of the supply chain? You know, I would back up a little bit. The challenge companies we have is not necessarily the measurement, it's the standards and the clarity about what needs to be measured. And then I think they could effectively measure it. You know, if you go out and ask, it's what needs measured, how often, when, and where do you measure those things? really matter in terms of the version of the truth that you come out with, with regard to your carbon footprint. It's a bit like the saying, if you don't know where you're going, how do you know when you get there? Yeah. You, you know when you've arrived somewhere, but is that where you really wanted to go? And, and interestingly, I think things like, uh, you know, this is what blockchain was literally created for. So blockchain and interestingly as well, I think some of the crypto expertise is going to sneak in here. They have some of the most mature blockchain capabilities. And aside from the crypto exchanges, the actual blockchain networks that they're built on were literally for this need. Mm -hmm. Well, we always say too, especially with companies now looking to hit certain targets by certain years, they have to be able to have some sort of starting point and some sort of number that they started with. So having those actuals is so vital if they actually really do want to hit those numbers by a certain time, because like you said, you can't track what you can't measure. And it kind of leads into, of course, scope one, two, and three, and how we can measure that. Because control over our emissions is probably easily visible in scope one and even scope two. But we're talking across all nodes of the supply chain here, one, two, and three. And unfortunately, as we know, scope three is where the highest carbon impact is, with more than 70% of companies' emissions being accounted at this level. So, Jeff, I'll direct this towards you again. As companies look to transform and get visibility into those sustainability efforts and targets, how do we better access the information we need through all tiers of the supply chain? I think the opportunity has never been greater or nor probably technically easier to get to that tier three. Yeah, we've had 5G, IoT of everything. I think IoT is going to actually go to the next level. I could literally see them putting sensors in our shoes and your coffee cups, you know, <laughs> everywhere. 
I don't think data volume will be an issue. You're going to have to filter out the noise and then figure out what really matters for your product or your service coming up with those models. I think AI is going to be an important piece of that as well. I see the next three to five years, I've got my ERP and I've got my AI and then I've got my data layer and bringing all that information in so that I can report on what's most accurate for my model. I think you hit the nail on the head with AI because you said, I don't think data volume is going to be the issue. But if you flip that, data volume might be the issue because you have too much data. And how do I make sense of that data? And that's where AI, I think, will come in. Correct, because it's not structured data at that level. I talked about the data standards, and I think they will help put some lenses, but that's not the filters you need. And the only way to do the filter that is big AI models. Exactly. Data is different than information. So, obviously, as well as optimizing our supply chains to reduce emissions, we also need to focus on leveraging clean energy to run our supply chains. So, Sadie, where are you seeing the innovations and evolution in this area? I know myself and Jeff are very focused on utilities and serving the utility industry. You know, realistically, energy generated by human activity produces almost 70% of all of the greenhouse gas emissions. So to accelerate this race to zero, we all have to lean into renewables. Our analysis shows that last year, we actually witnessed a remarkable surge in renewable energy adoption, which is great. It's absolutely wonderful. With solar energy experiencing like the highest growth ever recorded at 24 some percent and wind energy increasing, I think it's 13. And so if we look at where we're leveraging these particular industries and where we're going with this, I think we really have to look at how SAP and the industry supporting SAP and the consulting industries and the products that we're developing are creating these solutions that are allowing companies to implement and streamline these processes for adoption faster and more efficient. You know, within PwC, Jeff sponsors and has developed a wonderful solution that accelerates this element of deploying clean energy processes on an already existing SAP landscape. Those complemented with additional analytic solutions that lay on top of the data models that Jens had kind of highlighted and some of the AI is what is going to give us that end-to-end -end visibility of where we need to lean into. Absolutely. And, you know, earlier you were mentioning how by 2050, we have to move at that 17% or seven times each year. And I think a lot of companies really now are shifting into sustainable operations, as they like to say. And in 2021, SAP ourselves, we committed to being carbon neutral in our own operations by this year, 2023. And like I said, we're seeing many companies that are making similar commitments, you know, by 2030, 2050, they want to be carbon neutral, carbon zero, whatever initiative that they really want to push. So what is PwC doing around this commitment to decarbonization? So, Sadie, maybe comment on this one? I think it's wonderful. I mean, I just have a comment, everybody around the globe, for setting those initiatives. Mm -hmm. And companies now realizing that it is everyone's focus to drive that. And I think from a PwC standpoint... Our broader commitment to net zero is in a couple of different areas. We have a worldwide commitment to 50% reduction on our scope one and scope two emissions, as well as a 50% reduction 
on scope three, which is all that business travel that Jeff highlighted. So maybe there's a less red eyes than just future. <laughs> but really, it's also around not only making those commitments, but supporting it with a global strategy. PwC, we have this new equation that really looks at promoting this transparency that helps us drive visibility to this. And that's what a lot of companies across the globe are doing really is promoting how are we achieving? Are we on target? Are we going to hit these particular numbers? What analytics do we have that support that? As well as PwC's really leaned into creation of things that will help others thrive and achieve their numbers. So our clean energy solution, advanced analytics, review of end-to-end supply chain transformation. We're doing everything we can to really lean into this equation and figure out what we can do to best support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Sadie, if I could jump in real quick. You know, it was bizarre, not bizarre, but just, just to me, I approached PwC two years ago about creating this clean energy template at a time when, you know, we weren't sure where the economy is going. And I wholeheartedly got them, hey, go build it. That's the thing to do, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then link that with our ESG. If it doesn't pan out, you know, it's going to be a loss. And I don't think it will be. I think we're you're going to be where the clients need us. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. And I would say that, you know, it's really at the end of the day, decarbonization is going to require us all to change. Yeah. And that change means that we're going to have to look at how we're designing those products, right? But End-to-end is what are we doing, both from a technical standpoint? So what are we doing technically to support the business? What are we doing from a people side of things to change the way that we're executing and operating on a day-to-day basis? All of that matters and all of it needs to be taken into consideration. We may have answered this question already, but I'll ask it anyway. When it comes to decarbonization and clean energy... How can PwC and the partnership you have with SAP help listeners to this podcast? Great question. You know, the way PwC and SAP can help in decarbonization is we can bring a lot of resources and thought leadership and skills and capabilities to bear that I don't think other organizations can. Mm -hmm. You know, every journey starts with a step and you tear down a mountain by removing the first pebble. But it's nice to have companies like SAP and PwC where we can get the job done a lot faster, in my opinion. And I think we're out of the gate faster than pretty much a lot of the other companies. You know, I wouldn't have been able to do the clean energy template without support from your product teams. And they've been wonderful to work with. We've literally got this in the industry. It's working. We can prove it with our client success. Mm-hmm. It's great. We can lead by example. And by mm-hmm. us doing it, the two of us, PwC and SAP, It'll only want companies to follow. And, you know, as a consumer, people want to work with companies that have that sustainability at top of mind. And of course, that goes to higher up corporations as well. Investors are now looking at sustainability. Of course, profitability, revenue, that's all important. But now, you know, that's really taking a main focus at the table. So it's great that those are our main focus moving forward. Yeah. And those don't have to be competing. Mm-hmm. Can go hand in hand. Completely agree. So we have one question that we ask all of our guests, and I think I know where this response will go, but I've been surprised in the past. But in your mind, what is the future of supply chain? Well, I'll start and Sadie can hop in. I think the future is really, really bright. I've been quoted previously saying, you know, the heavy lifting for decarbonization, I think organizationally is going to fall onto the supply chain organization. 
It may get reported out through the CFO where a lot of the official reporting comes, but the heavy lifting is going to clearly be this supply chain organization. And that gives them the voice at the table that I don't think they've had in a long time. They can set the standards for that data. They can set the standards for the ERP model and how the AI gets put in. They're the driver, they're the bus driver, and they're taking it down the road that they want to go to, and they will get us all there. Great answer. Sadie, Jeff, thanks for a great conversation. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. It's been great chatting with you guys too. We can't wait to be back, so we hope to talk soon. Always a pleasure. I'd like to thank everyone listening. Please mark us as a favorite. You can get regular updates and information about future episodes. But until next time, from Sadie, Jeff, Nicole, and I, thanks for discussing the future of supply chain. All rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This content is for general purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.